Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high-achieving and ambitious mid-level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How is everybody on this in the U.S. post-Thanksgiving episode? I hope you had a wonderful turkey day. As we are recording this, it is still late October, so I am going to put out into the universe that I had a wonderful time and my entire family was here for Thanksgiving, and I hope you had a wonderful experience as well. I've got a return guest today. Robert Jordan was on for episode 235. And we talked about matching your leadership style to the right organization. And I've actually approached that kind of topic from several different angles to get you thinking about the fact that one size does not fit all at all. Today, we're going to talk about those of you who might have thought about an interim executive position. Perhaps some of you might be in a situation to influence the hiring of an interim executive at your organization. And some of you may have never heard of this and have no idea what it is. So here's your primer on what an interim executive is. This is Robert's bailiwick. I'm going to have him tell you more about that. And it occurred to me as we were publishing the previous episode, I thought, you know what? Let's get you back on here and let's talk about this interim leadership thing because I have had clients ask about it and I have to admit my knowledge of how to direct them has been limited. So I'm going to learn along with the audience today, Robert. So first of all, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. It's such an honor to be with you again. So why don't you tell the listeners about you and your organization? Thanks. So my name is Bob Jordan, and I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Interim Execs, which is a global, let's call it a matchmaker. Organizations show up, and they're in need of a leadership resource, a C-suite person, CEO, CFO, CIO. And we field those kinds of resources. We have been doing that for many years and happy to go into all of this. I I will tell you right from the get-go, this is not like traditional recruiting or headhunting. It it has very much become its own little field and industry. So let's let's start with the why of all of this. Why would a company want to do this? Why would they need to hire an executive interim? And why would, on the other side of the equation, why would a professional want to take on this kind of a role? Those are the key questions. There are a lot of use cases from the corporate side. Just so everybody understands, this, this as a specialty, as a career calling, the U.S. is like the last adopter. This started in the Netherlands, near as we can figure. And my guess is it's going back now with 40 years. It's interesting because there, there was a different reason for this occurring. But it has finally now hit 
the shores of the U.S., when, when I started, I was an interim CEO going back about 25 years. This was completely unknown. People thought this was the strangest thing that I had this regular job title of being an interim CEO. My mentor arguably was the first interim CEO in the U.S. His name is Philip Monago. And, you know, at first I didn't know what he was doing. And then he handed me his business card that said CEO of Yahoo. And I was in the online world early. And the online world was a very small community pre-World Wide Web. And we all knew that Yahoo and these other search directories were going to be going public in record time. And so here's this guy. And in 180 days, he took the founders of Yahoo out of a trailer on Stanford's campus. He incorporated the company. And by day 180, they were going public on no revenue after Masayoshi's son, the founder of SoftBank, had put in $100 million. That dazzled me and determined the entire course of my career. Anyway, so, so what now happens around the world is that organizations, if they have proximate needs, it's not the same thing as, you know, we're going to take 90 to 120 days for a search. For example, there could be a crisis. Crisis is one of the big use cases that drives organizations to pick up the phone and to call folks like us. Okay? The flip side for executives is that now there are an increasing number of people who have already had great success in a CEO, CFO, other C-suite role, and they simply don't need to feel like they're going to be in that corner office in the same company for the next 5, 10, 15 years. It's just no longer part of their playbook. And, and I don't want anyone to read into that the word retired, or at least from our point of view, we do not work with retired executives. Okay? This has become its own career calling because there's a set of executives who love challenge and they don't want to give it up, but they need much quicker results. You beat me to it, Robert, because my next question was going to be, is this what typically what retiring executives do who want to kind of downshift? But it sounds like it's very much not that, although I suppose in some companies they could kind of specialize in those not ready to retire, but of retirement age executives. That's But that's not your bailiwick. Well, I, I believe it's I just think it's a bit of an oxymoron if I'm using the right word. I, I don't think you can be a full-on operating executive in the battle, fighting as hard as you can for the company that you're with, and at the same point, part of the description of yourself as retired. So, Makes sense. And now I, I have to be very clear, we make a distinction here, which is we are not a consulting shop. We do not deploy consultants. So, so consulting is its own vast field. And in a way, whether you call this interim contract fractional, it's going through its own growth as a related or adjacent, but a different field of expertise. Consulting is advisory. Consulting is not hiring, firing, making decisions. It's a huge distinction. McKinsey, they're huge in the world, deliver brilliance, but they do not take responsibility for making decisions for the corporate client. The interim executive contract fractional, generally speaking, they have been given authority by a board, an owner, or a management team to make decisions, 
to act in the role exactly as if they were a permanent employee. However, in fact, they're not. So from the company's perspective, you mentioned that crisis is often a precursor to an interim executive. So I'm going to I'm going to read between the lines there that perhaps the the interim executive or the regular executive, let's call him or her, was maybe terminated, let go. And the company has decided they need to ramp up quickly with someone with a change agent as they perhaps look for the regular. I'm going to use that term. I'm, I'm curious what your term is. But as they look for the regular executive, is that is that what I'm understanding? There, well, yes. I mean, there's certainly use cases. Someone dies, retires, fails in the role. Those, those are the obvious, you know, the seat is open. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And if it's a public company and it's either the named CEO or CFO, now you have Sarbanes-Oxley. You have law that says, you know, those two roles must sign off on the financials. Ah, okay. So you cannot have an empty seat, which in a way, this is a little bit of a detour, but that's led to, you know, if you if you were to Google the phrase interim CEO, you're going to see it come up a huge number of times. For a lot of public companies, they will immediately appoint a board member to a role because the seat cannot stay empty. Mm -hmm. However, in, in that case, it's a babysitter. It's a placeholder. That's not someone who has a career, is trying to advance organizations, but doesn't need the permanent status. So I have so many questions. And and the next one I want to ask is, with your company placing these interim executives, what are you looking for? Are there some kind of universal qualities that you look for? And then are there, do you find yourself looking for kind of situation-specific or organization-specific qualities with certain companies? Lisa, you are so spot on with these. We're, we're right at it. And this goes back a little bit when we were talking about the book, Right Leader, Right Time, because we've been at this so long, going back 25 years, me as an interim CEO, but then interim execs, you know, its formation was about 15 years ago. And over the past decade, we've been approached by about 7,000 executives from 50 countries. And so we had to develop sophisticated ranking, scoring, screening. We're huge users of Salesforce. They built a lot of customization for us to rank on about 25 variables, every executive showing up. So, you know, you do enough of this, you get good at it. And we spotted these patterns. There was one pattern of, of the majority of executives, which was they were, they're, they're, they were having careers that were okay, but in no way would you ever say they were, oh my gosh, incredible. Among the top three, four, five percent, Okay, these were remarkable executives. And one of the differentiators is that exceptional leaders have more measurable results. They tend to be held to account more. So, for example, the executive shows up and they manage the department. And, and you say, well, what actually happened? You know, kind of what did you get done? It's like, well, you know, I was managing the department for five years. Okay. Right. It, it, there's not a whole there's no, there's no voice. There's no thrust. Someone else shows up and says, well, you know, my division, I took over. It was at 70 million. And four years later, we were at 700 million. 
Okay. Now I know it's not just that person alone, right? But to be in charge of that kind of parade, something good, <laughs> you, you probably were helping some good things happen. And so now we're going to want to drill in and learn more. What, what was the situation? What were the decisions you made? What were the results? And so a key differentiator is that exceptional executives have track records that are measurable and can be held to account. Perfect. And I hope that the listeners are hearing the subtext there, because as a master resume writer, I'm working with folks who want to get into the executive ranks or who are already in them on a daily basis. And those achievements, not just for the resume, not just for the LinkedIn profile, but to be top of mind for the candidate so they can talk about them in an interview is so important. It's not just that you sat your behind in a seat for X number of years with such and such a job title. It's it's what did you, how did you move the needle while you were there? What demonstrable results can you show? Right. So there's all, Lisa, there's all these, these hard skill, you, you know, accomplishments, track record and all that you can point to. So, so now you have this set of people and they're all exceptional on paper. And now it gets even tougher because now you're getting into everything attitudinal. And, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. And some things that we can attempt to measure, I'll say, and other things where in the end it just comes down to chemistry between people. But we are obsessed with integrity. People talk about it. That doesn't mean everyone demonstrates it in their life. Uh, I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yes. <laughs> that, that that is a... And, and I'm not, none of us are immune. I, I, I think we are all challenged that if you are going to strive, if you're going to be ambitious, if you really want to be in the game, then I find it, it's going to be a daily challenge to be a person who is in, in integrity, meaning the sense of wholeness and completeness and honoring your word. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things around attitude that are very subtle that, that we look for. And so, for example, you know, when you think of people and they apply for a permanent job, just think of the demeanor any of us would have, which is you you want to gel with the team. I mean, there's some desire most people have, which is even if you're going to be in charge of them, that there's a reason there's a fit. You, you want to convince yourself as the executive, you're also selling to a board, an owner, whatever that organization is. Well, that can make perfect sense because you're trying to form a cohesive team, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the interim, it's not that it's the opposite. It's not that you're coming in cranky and cantankerous. But <laughs> the interim knows, by definition, they're not the permanent. They're not going to be sticking around. And generally, the board has shown up because the permanent team has not sufficiently solved whatever the issue is. It could even be a great thing, like we need to IPO or we have a big sale we blew, right? It's not always crisis. but there is a lacking with the current team. And so coming in and attempting, attempting I, I'll use a too big word, but to ingratiate, that's not necessarily what an interim is called to do. We have a lot of rules. We have this thing called red team. Red stands for rapid executive deployment. And over the years, red team has developed a very rich set of rules. And one is you have to speak truth to power. If you cannot do that, you ain't getting on our team. No way. Mm-hmm. And and even if you take that gig, and well, I'll give you an example of, of 
very high profile executive who we love. He ran a number of consumer products companies and he went into a gig that it wasn't even really all that operational. Second generation family company and the second generation son who was becoming the CEO was not ready yet. And so the executive went in, little bit of CEO-ish role, little bit of coaching for him and the board. And within a week or two, he, you know, we, we're checking in. We do these check-in calls with the board and the company. Is everything okay? Are you all fitting well? Mm-hmm. Uh, same with the executive. And the executive comes back and he says, the entire board's conflicted. I said, give me more detail. He said, well, all of them, they're not really independent board members, none of them. He said, they all have vendor relationships or essentially are employees. There's no one actually on the, the board who serves in the in the role of what you consider a board of directors having Ooh. governance in an organization. And I said, I said, well, that's not good. He said, no. And he said, you know, we, the first time he mentioned it, he was trying to be gentle about it. Then he became more and more insistent, which is that they had to leave. You, you, if, you're, if you're a vendor, you're a vendor. But that's not the same thing as being a, a <laughs> no. responsible board member. And... Finally, it came to a head and he said, I'm not staying. I'm not staying. These people are, they're, they're not acting with integrity. And we said, darn tootin'. It's, it's the end of the gig. We're not going to condone what, what we consider a right. lack of integrity on the part of the board. Not doing it. Interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned having thousands of executives come to you. Is the typical scenario that you have executives in the queue before the opportunity arises? To what percentage are you finding an executive for a company? I mean, it seems like, you know, your job is to kind of be Johnny on the spot. So how often are you actually having to go out and find the right person that isn't already in your queue? It's a great question. And here's the bad news for listeners. If they're thinking this is like going to McDonald's and stepping up and <laughs> take a burger, please, and they hand you a burger, our process of getting to know executives is at least in the months, if not years. Mm-hmm. And we, this is just very different from applying for a job. These are, these are folks who are confident and accomplished, and they have resources. And so, Everybody wants to get paid. We want people to be handsomely paid, generously, ridiculously. But but it's not the same as applying for a job and, my gosh, I better get a paycheck or I can't meet the rent. Generally speaking, most executives that approach us, they already have been in this doing it. Ah, okay. I mean, sometimes people show up and it's like, gee, I'm thinking about it. Can you tell me about it? And maybe it'll work. But maybe not, because people who haven't done it before, they think, well, this is just like my prior life permanent. And the answer to that is it's absolutely not. In the sense of being the best leader you can be, yes, yes, you bring that to the role. But everything else around it is not the same. You have no job security. You have no health insurance. Contracts don't last beyond 30 days. You're, You're only as good as the work that you're actually doing. And so attitudinally, it's a very different thing. So most of the executives who we are getting to know, we get to know over a span of at least months before we think something comes along that's appropriate. 
So you've talked about this interim executive being someone who has a record of accomplishment, maybe not at the highest levels, but they have demonstrable achievements. They perhaps want quicker results for themselves. They want to be, I think there has to be a little bit of someone who really adapts well to that emergency room setting, right? That, okay, this guy's chest is wide open and his guts are hanging out. We probably ought to do something with him. And then there's also this bullet wound that just came in. And what about the woman who's in the middle of labor? It's got to be that kind of mentality, that level-headed, like, okay, let's prioritize. Let's figure out what needs to happen first. But we don't have that. We don't have the luxury of a of a of a ramp of a big ramp. What else does someone out there who's thinking about that this sounds maybe appealing to them? What other characteristics do you see in these people and how can these people get noticed for these types of positions? What do they need to do? Those are great questions. Just to be clear, our experience over the years is about that about one third of the use cases are pure crisis. Two thirds are are more great things are going on and we still need better, more immediate help. And that sense of urgency applies whether or not there is a crisis. Even when things are going well, people want the the organizations showing up. They want expediency. They're they're not sitting back. They're all striving for ambitious goals. And so the mindset of these executives has always, it always has to be that that well the way we describe it is you know a lot of these executives they have big fortune 500 backgrounds right and the use case here first of all let's be very clear the organizations showing up rarely are over 3 billion in revenue if they're on the for profit side and a lot of nonprofits show up this is not a specialty that usually applies to the fortune 500 this is a specialty that on the commercial side is in what private equity calls the middle market or the lower middle market. Okay. Oh, okay. So in a lot of cases, the executives have bigger credentials than the organization. Mm. If that makes sense. They're they're showing up and they were president of a billion dollar division before they started taking gigs. And here's this hundred million dollar company. And the board or the owner, they're like, Oh my God! There's no way that this person would want that. They were running a billion-dollar PNL. I say you, you don't understand what the mindset is here. The mindset of these executives is it's put me in the game, coach. They don't care. They don't need the billion-dollar PNL. And frankly, most of them that was so slow moving and bureaucratic mm. and layered that it's part of the reason why they now want to do gigs is because they were getting bored. And so they want to have impact. And so we're usually at pains to say, don't evaluate them based on, yes, they were billion-dollar P&L when they were in their permanent roles. You need to look at them right now, their ability to be hungry and eager and step in and put 100% of themselves on your behalf, regardless of if you're 50 million or 500 million. Totally makes sense. So, so. We've got someone out there who who is that kind of person that you just described. And I kept I kept thinking of as you were saying that that maybe the emergency room scenario is for what did you say, about a third of the people. And then in other cases I got this vision of a 
large skyscraper going up and we're we're building and we need somebody the general contractor is you know for whatever reason no longer with us he passed he's retired whatever and we need somebody to step in because we can't have we've got to keep building this building so it's a it's a positive thing but we need somebody who can begin to make immediate contributions that seems to be the theme that no matter what the situation is, they want somebody who can make immediate contributions. So how do how do people out there get notice? How do you get in the let's call it a system such as yours for these kind of positions? Well, if I can give myself a pat on the back here, I had discovered I saw so I was an interim CEO before interim exec started, but going back about 25 years. And what I noticed over time was that because we own all of the domains in the world that, that are around this. When, when I first launched, I bought interimceo.com, interimcfo.com. We got interimcio.com. So, so people from around the world were kind of knocking on my door, even when 25 years ago, I was just, it was just me, right? And I discovered getting to know a number of these people that they were phenomenal operating executives. And I had this experience early on of being a rainmaker. Something showed up, and I was always like my mentor trying to do early stage tech. Early stage tech is a is an edge case. It's not the center of the fairway for what most interims do, which is more private equity oriented. So I recommended and put another executive, which turned into a team, into a private equity portfolio company, and they just crushed it. I mean, they were phenomenal. And here I am billing them out and I'm making the same money. I'm just not the one on the gig. And I never could have done it anyway. I'm thinking, I think maybe I should stop (laughs) doing gigs and I should start working for these executives. And so even though everyone, you know, we have this designation red team and red team ready, they're all more skilled and accomplished than I am in their operational roles. Every single last man and woman is. But what I discovered over the years was I was far better at marketing them than they were themselves. That in most cases, they were humble to the core. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't want to tout themselves overly much, which was like, that's not enough. And for the minority who were braggarts, I go, oh God, you've gone over the mark so bad. And I was just, I'm sorry, but I was just pitch perfect at this. And, and so I realized they're not great marketing themselves. And oh, by the way, most executives hate to market themselves. They love being in the roles. Love it. Mm-hmm. Need it. This is, this is calling for them. This is commitment. And I saw that. And, and the marketing of themselves was, oh, my God, such agony for most. And so that, on the executive side, that's why we exist. That's why we we have a thriving business organ organization that just keeps on getting bigger is because there's a need out there. And on the organization side, it's not easy to find these people. So are you are you you mentioned kind of representing the executives? Is that is that the stance that you take, whereas a recruiter is typically representing the organization, are you firmly in the corner of the executive or how does firmly. that work? Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, my, my model is, is either Ari Emanuel, Mike Ovitz from Hollywood, 
it's, you know, reading the history of Creative Artist Agency, I thought, oh, my God, that's what we are. We're, we're Hollywood agents to rock stars. They're just, you know, Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Everybody knows them. Well, nobody knows, you know, that I have this, this I'm blessed with this wonderful group of, of these executives around the world where we've come to trust each other and it's kind of evergreen. It keeps on renewing itself with new people. And it's like, I'm their agent. And that is a sacred trust. And that for me has become, it's my calling. I mean, it doesn't have to do with the money anymore. I'm committed in capital letters to doing what I do. It it comes through in your enthusiasm. Absolutely. So the the bottom line is, if someone is out there and thinks that they would be a good fit, they just need to reach out to you. And it's not something they want to try to do on their own. And you're that's what you're there for. So well, yeah. I mean, it's both. I mean, we're we're not a substitute for the fact that these executives must. You know, you have to have a good LinkedIn profile, and mm-hmm. and if you're not, you know, great at writing that, Lisa, they need you. Yes, they do. They all need me. I've read their LinkedIn profiles and they stink. They stink. (laughs) And so so they need you and they need a website. And there's, you know, the bare minimums that that even if though they are a business of one, they have to be out there and doing that. I mean, even for a lot of these executives where they become dear friends and we put them in multiple gigs. It, I still would say, do not hold your breath. Do not be waiting for the phone to ring on us. Go do your 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 best work in the world and and be out there. We are we are a completely opportunistic thing because we're not trying to be like a Google search where it's like, man, can we get to a billion hits in the next second? That's not what this is. This is still a very human, it's a very human scale boutique offering. And I don't know that in my lifetime that's going to change. I mean, you can keep on getting more automated at the lower levels of employment. Got it. You know, AI and the way that resumes get get scraped for keywords, understood. But when it comes to a board of directors or an owner, and it is a company or it's a nonprofit organization, it is sacred to the people who run it. And I just don't know when automation kicks in where they say, you know what, we don't need human beings, we're just going to go with the algorithm. <laughs> and part of my confidence there is we tried the opposite. We we failed for six years in the beginning when we started. When we started, we were a free search engine, and we had thousands of executives listed, and it was absolutely free. And I realized how wrong we were. Mm-hmm. One day when a private equity guy called up and he said, I need a CFO in New York, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I just spent three years with developers and a million bucks to make a search engine because I thought everyone wants something for free. And he's telling me I should be curating. Mm-hmm. And pay for it. Well, and my comment on that is that I don't think the job boards are working at really any level. I am on this podcast a number of times saying, and I quote, job boards are broken. I say it to my clients. I say it. I probably just randomly walk around town and say it. People probably think I'm crazy, but it's true. And so I think I think there's pieces because my if, if I share with the universe what my big I, I call it WODO, which stands for world domination. My big WODO concept is 
that there's a there's a better mousetrap out there to help match up because we've seen that job boards aren't working and people are so confused by the whole hiring process and stupid things get you kicked out of the of the process that have nothing to do with your ability to do the job but rather you just didn't put something in the right hole on the application or on your resume so i could talk about that for hours we shan't let's talk i about- hear you and it's <laughs> you know look we're, we have our own team at interim execs. I'm not referring to the the red team executives and and folks who who approach us, but our own team is expanding, and so we have job posts that are up right now. And you know, it's that spray and pray <laughs> thing, which is we have hundreds and hundreds of applicants for open roles, operations, marketing, recruiting, blah blah blah, all of these things, and. When we occasionally come across a resume, we think that's interesting. The first step for us invariably is to send a note to the applicant. Okay. Now they're the ones that apply and we send a note and it's always the same simple note. Thanks. What sparked your interest in interim execs Mm. as an organization? Lisa, the number of applicants, now they've already applied. The number of people that actually Respond once you single them out. Hi, John, right? By name. It's not even a majority. I mean, I want to say it's probably a third of people where you personally reach back out who will even respond. So, to your point, it's a completely broken thing. And I also don't have the world domination replacement for that. Yeah, and the clients, uh, on the other hand, are saying that they're being ghosted. They're they're so tired of I call it the crickets that they hear when they apply, and so there's there's clearly something something very broken there. So kudos to you for realizing before too much time had passed that the the search engine was not the answer. That this needed to be high touch and you know all the things that you've created. I think that's that's fantastic. Now I I heard you mention thirty days. What's the typical assignment duration for these executives and what do you see happen after that do any of them ever stay in the role is it always you know one and done that do they go back into your system and for the next position tell me about that we surveyed 2000 interims the the prior we we did a worldwide survey we're about to do another one the the one we did that was, I think it goes back about two years. The average duration of an assignment was eight and a half months. That was not just through us. That was in the wild among, you know, interim executives taking on their own gigs. So eight and a half, nine months. Okay. For us, what tends to happen is the better you get to know the executive, the higher the likelihood they're going to get multiple gigs. And it's just, that's just human nature, right? Because the more they trust us and we trust them, you keep on. But there's always new people showing up, which we need. We, we have to keep refreshing this. And, you know, just because you did great on a prior gig, it doesn't mean necessarily that, that it's going to keep working. Also, people get older. And when they use that R word, <laughs> that, that dreaded retired word with us, it's it's like this has been great and we're going to stay friends but that phone ain't going to ring from us anymore. Yeah. One one of my favorite red team executives just we we have become so close over the years 
and he changed his LinkedIn profile. And and I love him and I respect <laughs> his decision. Now, personally, I'm going to tell you, Lisa, I hope, God willing, I can keep doing what I'm doing in the next 25 years. Me too. Most, most of my family thinks I'm crazy, but I don't believe I don't believe in. I just don't believe retirement is is a great or a healthy thing to do. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to work 24-7. But anyway, so so when people identify that way, it's like, well, thanks. But yeah, you're not red team anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. You hung up your spurs because you did it, not us. And I, I think what I'm hearing, because you did not talk about a, a case where someone was hired to stay on for the permanent position. And I'm I'm wondering if that's if if that ever happens and it, and if it happens if the conversation comes up and it doesn't happen is it more because the interim executive doesn't want that permanent role it seems to me like the the picture that you've painted is of someone who is very much into these immediate results let me go and you know work my i, I think of Mary Poppins and i've i've used that term with clients before because i see their role in an organization as Mary Poppins they come in and they do magical wonderful things and and then it's time for them to move on so it, is that is that what happens? Are some of them getting the permanent role? What's going on there? You know, sorry, you just reminded me because I love movies that I have to add Mary Poppins to my list because <laughs> it's, back, it's back to right leader, right time. She's a master fixer. She yes. comes in, she's a fixer leader. She's glorious. So, okay, fine. I'm going to share my dirty little secret. <laughs> you, you pulled it out of me, Lisa. All right, give it to um, me. Lay it on me, we, Bob. We have no go-to-market message that anyone should should ever show up for us looking for a permanent person. Okay. We're very clear on this. And at the same point, when we started doing this, it's like, you got to be realistic because if, if, you know, people fall in love with each other, you can't stop it or you shouldn't stop it. You can by contract, but then you're just making everybody unhappy. So from the beginning, our contract had a buyout provision and we don't like it. We don't want it, but we get bought out 25% of the time. Okay. So I all I can tell you is it must be we're doing a great job if that's what is occurring and that's all there is. I mean and and a lot of red team executives and what we call red team ready which is kind of the, they're they're the on deck. They are committed to being project based. And and I get that and sometimes for practical reasons even when we get bought out and someone says it's permanent it's not really permanent in the old sense of, you know, you went to General Motors and you worked there for 35 or 40 years. I think a lot of what is now permanent is simply the, the notion that, you know what, if we think it's going to go three years, four years, five years, then you ought to just become an employee even for that stretch of time. And so, so it happens. We don't block it. We never encourage it. We don't want to go to market for it. Right. For being that. We love working with permanent recruiters. We expect that in most engagements, certainly every nonprofit, well, there's either going to be a permanent recruiter alongside the interim, and the interim is helping to recruit the permanent. Okay. Or that organization has really good internal resources for recruiting, but they're in no way, it's just, they're no longer competitive or a threat to us. We do something permanent recruiters cannot do. We get calls from them and we are not going to take on a permanent search. It's it's not in our DNA. 
Well, Robert, you know, early on when I started having guests on this podcast, which, as you know, doesn't happen very often, I had a a guest as we were prepping in that initial call. They said, what, how, how do you measure success with a guest? And I thought that was a great question that I had not been asked. And I had to stop and think for a moment. And I said, well, if I'm engaged with the conversation and I'm asking, we're going down rabbit holes, I'm asking questions that I hadn't anticipated that engagement between us is going to resonate with the audience. That has certainly happened today. And I want the audience to know, because I think, (laughs) I think after 200, this will be episode 253. People assume I know everything. (laughs) And I do know a lot of stuff just because I'm pretty old. And, you know, I've been around for a while, been around the block, I've been around the, the neighborhood. But this was this was really great new information for me. The very clear distinction between the purpose, the mindset of an interim executive, the, in, the mindset of a company wanting one, that it is a completely separate being from permanent recruitment. And I'm going to send every one of my execs who express an interest. There have been a few over the years, Robert. I'm not going to send you 25 people, I promise. But there have been a few that I think would be a good fit for this. I also like that mindset of this is not your semi-retirement, you know, still want to keep my hand in the in the in the the box but i don't want to you know i don't want to be in there 14 hours a day it's not that person so this has been very helpful for me tell the listeners how they can find you if they have interest in this or just want to see what you're more about what your company is about well thank you again lisa it's always a pleasure to talk to you and i can be reached at interimexecs.com Excellent. And I believe you have a leadership assessment that they can check out on your website. Is that correct? Yes. So that's a different site because of the book. We had a book come out called Right Leader, Right Time. And so the website, rightleader.com, if they go there, they will see a link for leadership assessment. It's called FABS, which there are four styles depicted in the book, fixers, artists, builders, strategists. So it's called FABS Leadership Assessment. They'll see a link there. It'll take about three minutes and they will get a free report on their leadership style. And and we'd love to hear from people to hear if we got it right or wrong. It's It launches as a beta. Thanksgiving sounds about right. So I'm glad for the timing here and, and we'd love to hear. <laughs> yeah. And I think we talked about that assessment as well in episode 235. So if you guys didn't hear the matching your leadership style to the right organization, where Bob talks about those four leadership styles and the kind of organizations they fit into, please uh, give a listen to that one. The link will be in the show notes. And this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the podcast as a repeat guest. And yeah, great work that you're doing. And I'm excited to see where your company goes. Thank you, Lisa. It's always a pleasure. You all take care. I hope this has been helpful and I will see you next week. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.